0: and uh, we're just going to minister into a, into a few things over the coming weeks and I'm, it's my joy to, to open up that series tonight. But before we do that, I don't know whether anybody can remember, uh, I'm looking around the age range, some of you definitely won't remember this, some of you will, um, in terms of a Tom Hanks film called Big. Can, can you remember that? Just give us a... It, it, who loves that film? I absolutely love that film. And it's, 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 about, it's about a young boy. I think his name may be Josh, actually. I think it might be Josh. And, and he actually um, desires to be big. He has this desire to be big. Uh, it doesn't quite work out right for him. But I was just thinking about that and thinking, you know, the reality is God has a, has a desire and a design for every one of us, and that is to live big lives, so over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at such things like big God, big life, a big vision, a big catch, a big church, and other things as well. But I just want to just launch off with just a few verses, if I may, from 2 Corinthians and chapter 6, verse 11 to 13. But I'm going to be reading it from the message version tonight. So you may not be able to follow it uh, entirely well if you're reading from the New King James or the New International Version. But hopefully it'll come on the screen and we can keep it there. Uh, that's not the one. So I'll, I'll keep going for it. It's 2 Corinthians in chapter 6, verse 11 to 13. It reads, Dear, dear Corinthians, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide open spacious life. We didn't fence you in. The smallness you feel comes from within you. Your lives aren't small. Listen to me. Your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. I'm speaking as plainly as I can and with great affection. Open up your lives. Live openly and expansively. One of the challenges that we have in the United Kingdom and I'm just going to, I know it's a generalization, but I just want to speak to the general for a moment, is the the term that I would coin, we are geographically challenged. What do I mean by that? Well, we're geographically, geographically challenged because we live on a small island. And I actually think that there's some wonderful things about living in this country of ours, but one of the things that we've allowed to happen is there's a sense of smallness. Because of where we live, there's a smallness that we can adopt, that we can embrace. Let me not talk to the church for the moment, because what I'm going to do dur- during just the 20 minutes or so that we have together, I'm going to talk to the church, but I want to talk to you, how this applies to your life in terms of living a big life. And what I want to do in particular is talk about a big purpose. But you see, many of us, we, we, we've embraced, we've swallowed The pill, the lie of smallness. What that means is that we live on this small island, so we live in small houses, we drive small cars, the majority of us, there are small roads. But if anybody's ever traveled over to Africa or ever traveled to Australia or ever traveled to America, you begin to have your horizon stretched and you actually begin to see this big wide world that God has actually created. One of the most remarkable things that happened to me was when the only time that I've been to Australia, and we we was in Sydney just for five days, and flying out of Sydney, we flew out about 12, one o'clock in the afternoon, and it was a beautiful, gorgeous um, afternoon, and it just felt like, and we was flying in, I believe, to Hong Kong, and it just felt like and we were we were literally in the hours air for hours, and we were still flying across Australia. I saw the vastness the largeness the, the grandness of all that God had created and I guess it was from there there was a sense in which God was wanting to just show me how big and how large and how great he is, but also how big he wanted our lives to be we can live such small lives which lead us to the point where we don't reach we don't believe and we stay small and we have statements like i'll just make a few moments you know where did we get that children should be seen and not heard i think that's a small statement what we're actually saying is we need to keep them out of the way keep them down keep them keep them where they are it's a bad statement There's another couple of statements that I put in here that, you know, statements like don't get too big for your boots. Anybody ever heard that statement? Don't get too big for your boots. I think that statement is quite restrictive because what if you are actually too big for your boots? Have you ever thought about that? What if you've outgrown your boots? It would be ridiculous for me to say to Eleanor, I saw around here, Eleanor, stop growing. You're becoming too big for your dress. You're too big for that dress, so stop growing. That would be utterly ridiculous in the natural. And yet, that's what we try and put on people. And what is it a statement of? Smallness. I understand we use it in the context of don't get too, don't get too, uh, you, you know, above yourself and all the rest. Here's another one don't go above your station. Who determined the station? Who determines the station? I know I'm being a little bit controversial, nicely controversial, but these these sort of statements completely and utterly irritate the life out of me. Because what they are basically saying is that we want people to live small. Interesting. These statements are unrecognizable and non-translatable into other cultures and contexts. you try and if you're in a context of preaching, which I've been, and you try and get that translated, the translator would be looking at you as though, don't don't get too big for your boots, what does that mean? It wouldn't be translatable, because in other cultures and contexts, they wouldn't make such statements. It seems like, and I'm not battering the United Kingdom, please don't misunderstand me, I'm just trying to make a point that we have had those statements washed over us and we've swallowed the pill of smallness. And God is wanting to say to us tonight that he does not want us to live small lives. You know, when I was in Milton Keynes, my mum probably doesn't know this, but there were two pastors, older pastors, they weren't on the team. They were out of ministry, but they'd been pastors. Two pastors, they said statements like, both of them said statements like this as a young lad. You can imagine this now, um, Phil. So, you know, Josh, this is the kind of statements that they were, they were making to me as a young aspiring guy. They, were, they came to me and said, you know what, I really don't like your style of preaching. That's what they said to me. It's really encouraging, isn't it? Don't, you know, I was really edified and whatever. You're too loud, that was another statement that they made. You are too loud. And then another one said to me, because we were praying for people and believing for something, you must understand, understand this. I have never, ever, ever forced anybody to the ground. But when we were praying for people, people were being touched by the power of the Spirit. You might have seen that. People were falling over. It was just a genuine move. and People were, you know, falling to the ground. There wasn't anything daft going on. It was just happening. I remember one coming to me saying, will you stop pushing people down? These were two guys who'd been in ministry, and I've realized, I've realized, I didn't have the problem. They did. Because what they wanted to do, they wanted to keep me small. They wanted me to be discouraged. They were living out of their inferiority, and they were wanting to lay something on me that should never have been laid on a 20-something-year-old lad. Thank God there were some of the guys around me that I was able to talk to. And they said to me, take no notice of them. They haven't got a clue what they're talking about. And I'm going to be really edgy. And one of them said, and they both failed in the ministry. That's why they're no longer in the ministry. You know who that was who said that to me, Phil. Could lighten up a bit. But the point is, they were wanting to keep me small. They wanted to bring me to their level of smallness. They wanted to stamp out my passion and they wanted to stamp out my enthusiasm for God. I've often used this illustration of the linen box. Who's ever seen the linen box? Unfortunately, I didn't bring it. I forgot to bring it. But where we, you know, I placed. I remember Kev putting him in the box and just keeping him there and bringing the lid up. And unfortunately, many of us live like that. We live so restricted lives. We live such small Lives and I want to encourage each and every one of us to not live like this. One of my main agitators and opponents and objectors to me in the context of church leadership is this small thinking from small lives. I've realized it. Small thinking from small lives. People want to bring me to their level, so even in arguments, they want to bring you down to their level. We must get bigger than going down to their level, yeah? You often say to your kids, don't go, don't stoop to their level. And yet we do it ourselves. And we allow somebody to put something on us that actually was never meant to be put on us. And please don't misunderstand me. I am not talking about being arrogant. I am not talking about being, being conceited. I'm not talking about loving ourselves, you know, in a wrong way. I'm talking about but not allowing people and stuff to keep us down. I believe the church has lived small for too long. Small is not beautiful. Underline that, please. Small is not beautiful. It's not. Now, don't misunderstand me again because Paul and his have an incredible passion to, as we do, to build small groups. We need to have small church, large church. Small church, big church. Because if we just have the lodge and all we've got is just a gathering with no breaking down, we must have that. But equally, there are some people who want to take it so small, and that's how it should be. So they want to run this small, you know, group, and that becomes church to them, and that becomes cozy, and they can only fit 12 people in their lounge, and they've got 12 people in there, and they're quite happy. And Jesus isn't. Because there's a world that needs to be reached. Anybody hear what I'm talking about? There's a world to be reached. His passion is that none should be lost, that all should be saved. And we live with this smallness that's placed upon us. I'm not advocating how great Australia is or how great Africa is or how great America is. But I do believe in some of these areas, they're far further on than we are. Because they live with a sense of largeness. I'm not talking about excessive largeness as in it goes over the top. But I'm talking about a sense of bigness, a sense of largeness, a sense where God is wanting to do something in their lives, and they believe God for the immeasurably more. At Arena Church, we must begin to believe for the immeasurable more. God's heart is for the whole world. And if I can say this, the UK church must arise. Now listen, for the church to become large, we must become big on the inside. Remember what I read to you, you thought I'd forgotten about it. It says the smallness you feel comes from within you. But your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. For the church to become large, we must become big on the inside. And this is going to be an absolute culture shock. This is a complete opposite to what you've been taught. Many of you here, because all you've had put on you is for you to remain small, for you to remain contained, for you to live a sense of restriction. You might not have seen it like that, but that's exactly what it is. Coziness, niceness. Oh, it's nice. God never intended us for us to be cozy and comfortable. But what he wants us to do is live big lives. Let me give you a definition of big Huge, great, importance, enormous, gigantic, massive, colossal, mammoth, immense, tremendous, mighty, stupendous, vast, Herculean, titanic, exceptional, extraordinary. I thought we'd have more than that, Then Phil just saying, yeah. This is the kind of bigness that God is wanting over your life. Why feel a sense of resistance? Because it's completely counterculture. It's completely against what many of you have heard. What many of you have heard spoken over your life. God's design for people was for you to live a large life. Big on purpose. Now, you've all got a purpose for living. We have Margaret here who's a school teacher. Her purpose is to educate We have people who are in the service industry. You wait, you serve, you do things. You're there on purpose to help others. Some people who have the ability to cook delicious food and make wonderful cakes. I'm allowed them as from the 30th of July. So anybody wants to bake me a night. June, sorry. Not July. Sorry. Anybody who wants to just, you know, then, then I'm in for that. Builders, plumbers, electricians, what are you there to do? Your purpose is to build houses. And what are, you can apply that to whatever context in which you live. You have a sense of purpose. But let me tell you, those who are working and those who are serving in the marketplace, there's a wider purpose that God has for. For you. Because God has a purpose for your life. And it's not just a small purpose. It's not just a teeny weeny purpose. It's a big purpose. It doesn't mean that you're going to be on a stage somewhere. And it may not probably mean that your name are going to be in lights. But God has a purpose for your life. I believe every one of you here can influence hundreds. Every one of you have the potential to influence hundreds. But let's think now, as you influence those hundreds, then there's another generation that comes through, and they have their own kids, and they'll be influenced. I think back to just a little bit of, I've said this before, in terms of, uh, you know, my family, my mum's side of the family, in terms of coming through Sunday school, Pastor Bagley visiting the home, because that used to happen then and they were sent to Sunday school in the afternoon and they found the Lord and then there was connection with my non-o. she went and then my granddad he went and then as a result of it my dad who's at the back there you know none of his family I mean they're completely you know, if I can say this just comes completely out there well you can see me dad I mean outside of Christ God help us but just completely out there. And I don't say this is any boast. John and Sandy probably don't even know this, so they're going to hear something. I've still got cousins who are in prison, who are serving time in Leicester. That's the kind of background. And if it hadn't been for God, Victor Bagley, who nobody would ever mention, reaching one and others, and then there, who knows where I would have been? Because you know me and you can see the capabilities of me running down that particular track. is very, very real outside of Christ. So it's not just a few people you influence. It's the generations and the generations. So please don't ever think that you have a small purpose because God wants you to have a big purpose. Are you hearing me tonight? A big purpose. Some of you young, younger guys here, yeah, man, I have a clue what I'm talking about. But God wants to do something great in your life, right? Really great in your life. And then when you get married and have your own kids, you might think flipping, it they're completely switched off now. But you'll raise your kids in church and we're believing that they're going to then have kids who are going to, it just follows on and follows on and follows on. You see, God wants you to be big and has destined you to be big on purpose. As we just draw this last part together to a close, I just want to take the the life of Gideon. I wonder if you're just turning your Bibles to Judges and chapter six. Judges and chapter six. Because of time, we don't have we don't have time to just give you the complete context to it. Other than the nation of Israel was yet again in trouble, and they were being overrun by a group of people called the Midianites and the Amalekites, and they were ravaging the people of Israel. And this is what it says in Judges and chapter 6. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. So it's equivalent to us being completely overrun by a foreign group for seven years. They ravished the land. When there's a harvest comes, they take it all for themselves. They take all the gold, all the silver. They take all the cattle. They take all the oil. They take all our natural resources, everything. And they completely rip the people off and just leave them utterly impoverished. Worse still, anybody steps out of line and you will be in trouble. And this is what Israel were in. It says there, because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelter for themselves in mountain clefts Caves and strongholds. Do you get the picture? This wasn't a pretty context in which Israel found themselves. But let's go to verse 11. Because what happened was there was an angelic visitation. And it says the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak of Oprah. You see, Oprah gets everywhere. This woman, she gets absolutely everywhere. That belonged to Joash, the, whatever his name is. Where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press, and he was doing that because he wanted to keep it from the Midianites. So, get the picture Gideon's there in secret, threshing the wheat in a wine press, and an angel comes and visits. I know it seems bizarre, but this is what happened. And the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and he said, The Lord is with you, listen to the language. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Let's just pause for a moment because this is worthy. Let the word do its work. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Gideon replies, pardon me, my Lord, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? And some of you have said those words. Where is the Lord in all this? All my chaos, all my confusion, all my pain. Where is the Lord in all of this? The Lord is there, right in it. Right in the thick of it. And the Lord turned to him. And said to him, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Let again the word do its work. Because some of you need to hear that. Go in the strength you have. Don't wait for what you need from the Lord. You have everything that you need to go. You have everything you need to go. Go in the strength you have. Go in the strength you have. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied again. How can I save Israel? My clan, he was saying, my family is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. And the Lord answered, I will be with you. And you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Let me just go through the notes because of time. Because I really could get into that text. God had a big purpose for Gideon. It was to deliver his people from the Midianites. The Midianites... We're ravishing Israel, as I've already said, and they've done that for seven years. And they reduced them, get this, to nothing. Some of you feel like you've been reduced to nothing. You feel so small because you've been reduced to nothing. Things that have been spoken over you reduced you to smallness. Things that you've read about you, you've been reduced to nothing. That email you received, that was damning, you was reduced to nothing. That parent who said that thing about you, you was reduced to nothing. Reduced to nothing. Who is your Midian that God is wanting you to overthrow? Because we all have them. There are people who have said things about us. And they'll keep you small. I'm not talking about we have to respond like they respond to us. But who is your Midian that God is wanting you to overthrow tonight? You see, Gideon saw himself as small and insignificant. Let's go back to the text for a moment. Because he says this, my clan is the weakest. The original text actually means my clan is the poorest. We have nothing. And I am the least. What he was basically saying to him is, I am the littlest, I am the most insignificant of the insignificant. So if you imagine, there's an insignificant family, but who is the most insignificant of the insignificant family? And this is how Gideon saw himself. Not how he saw himself, but that is probably how the family treated him. That he was the smallest, he was the poorest. He was the most insignificant. You see, Gideon was allowing with his language, the culture, the environment, the family, the past, the present circumstance to shape his mindset and his attitude. I need to repeat that again because it's very important. He was allowing the culture, the environment, the family, the past, and the present circumstance to shape his mindset and his attitude. When I read that, I'm reminded of 12 spies in Numbers in chapter 13. It says they're in Numbers in chapter 13 and verse 31 and 33. But the men had gone up with him and they said, there's 12 spies. And 10 of the spies said this, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And then they went on to say, just a few moments later, we saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak, who were giants. And we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. Here we have another group of people who actually believed and they'd swallowed the pill, the lie of smallness. God had told them to possess the land. God had told them that he would be with them as they possessed the land. But they swallowed the pill of smallness. Listen to me, church. We must shake off this way of thinking. Gideon was purposed by God to bring deliverance to a nation. God always uses the most unlikely amongst us. We heard that this morning. And his plans are not small, but big. If you want to see the conclusion of that story, you need to read it yourself. It's found in Judges and chapter 7. But you will see God's delivering hand through Gideon and it was not through thousands it was through 300 and God delivered the nation of Israel from all the other nations through this seemingly insignificant small poor young man listen to me what do we do with a message like this in these closing moments that God's wanting us to big live big lives well there's a few things let me ask you a few questions that I think would be worthy of you just noting down. And this applies to all of us. Because as I say, if we want to grow a big church, we have to first grow a big people. We can't expect God to do something that's beyond people. We're sure we can go and buy a thousand seater, but if we haven't grown big people, this is the whole purpose It We're never going to grow the kind of church that Jesus wants us to to grow here in Mansfield. So question, what's been holding you back? What's been holding you back? What is presently holding you back to living small? Some people say, well, I'm uneducated. My past, I'm divorced. I've been in prison. I've made a mess of my life. I'm not a particularly great dad. I've not been a good mom. My kids are in care. My life's in chaos. I'm in debt. All those kinds of things, let me say none of those things, none of those things need to hold you back. We've got to come to the point where we say those things that have been holding me back, I'm going to shake them off in Jesus' name. I'm going to change my mind and I'm going to change my ways. And I know this sounds easy, but I'm going to keep away from bad influences. I'm going to stay with a group of people who are going to love me, who are going to encourage me, who are going to speak good things into me. That's why small groups are essential. Because in that context, we receive great encouragement from others. If we are not presently in small groups, I'd encourage you to get in a small group. You can't do this alone. You need to do it with other people closely around you. There are times when we feel low. And there are times when Phil just speaks a word of encouragement. And likewise, I know there may be times when he's not. And there's just a word that's spoken. We need to get in the right places with the right influences. We need to leave behind old habits. We need to make ourselves accountable and seek help. These things that I've mentioned are not the things that should hold you back. We need to fill our lives with big people, big voices, big thinkers, big dreamers, big doers. You must fill your lives with people who are speaking big things. I'm not talking about stupidity. I'm talking about the word of God. So, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Here's another couple of things for you to think about as we close. I'd like you to list some of the big things in your life. Because if we're going to live big on purpose, we need to clearly identify those things that we love, value, and cherish. What are those things? What are those big things in your life? I've realized we fret over small stuff and we undervalue the big things. What's really, really important in this world? Only you can answer that question for yourself, but let me tell you, it ain't how much money you've got. Money's very helpful to live a life, but that is not the thing that we should be valuing. That's a message I keep saying to guys who I come into contact with, business, where I get the opportunity and it comes up, I say to them all the time, they are not the things that we should be placing value in. They are not the most important things in your life. What are those things? What are those big things in your life? Only you can answer that question for yourself. And thirdly, I'd like you to just take a moment as you go home over this week, not just to, look at what's been holding you back and not just to list the big things in your life, what you love and value and cherish, but I wonder if you take a moment to list some big things that you want to do with your life. It could be as simple as, I have never passed my driving test and I'm going to go and do it. Well, go and do it. That is the word of the Lord. Go and do it. Some of you may say, Well, I never passed my O level uh, English, or you know, well, I'd encourage you to go and do it. If that's a big thing in your life, go and do it. Yeah, if Terry had been here, some of you might want to go skydiving. God bless you. It ain't for me, I don't want to be jumping out of any planes, even if I was pencil thin. He keeps saying to me, lose some weight and we can take you up there. Why do you think I keep staying as I am? I might look daft, but I ain't that daft, let me tell you. I ain't jumping out of any planes. That doesn't do it for me at all. But what big things do you want to do with your life? What big things? What things have you yet to do with your life? I'm talking about those things that are good. And bearing in mind, all these things have been given for our pleasure and our enjoyment. What big things? We hold ourselves back. We live such small lives. And God is saying to us tonight, please, 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 don't continue to live small. Live expansive. Live large. Live generous. Live gregarious. Live fun. Live full of adventure kind of lives. What big things do you want to do? with your lives. I've got the think. I think it's on me, I've got the joy of talking about big church, but as I sum up, because you're all thinking, well where does this go, in terms of the church? I've tried to relate it to you personally, because as you get big, this thing will get big. Are you hearing me? As you get big, this thing will get big. You'll get bigger on the inside. But let me say, God's heart for this town is not small but big. We underestimate if we think that we had a few hundred people in this church, of course it would be great. But do you think that would be enough? When there's a 100,000 people that live in Mansfield? I don't think it would be. And yet we can be tempted. Somebody was in the context of a, of a meeting, somebody asked me and they was asking about what we were doing and just happened to say, yeah, there's a few hundred people around both campuses. And he said, wow, you must have the, the largest church, one of the largest churches in the area. And I said, I really don't think that would be the case. And do you really think that's anything to boast about? And he was a bit taken aback that we've just got a few hundred when there's, we're talking about tens of thousands. What that told me about this man, lovely man just told me in terms of where his mindset was. God's heart for this town, God's heart for this area is much bigger than ours. We need to think of thousands, not hundreds. We need to think of churches, not church. We need to think of millions of pounds, not pennies. We need to think of influence, not silence. For too long, the church has been silent. We said, oh, we'll quietly influence. You can't influence quietly. Not really. God is wanting us to have a loud shout. He's wanting to have a loud voice. He's wanting to have influence and not just silence. Listen to me. There is a big need. And the need is that people are being lost, even tonight, to a lossless eternity. I'll go back to what I started with. You have the potential to reach hundreds in your world. You are the one... To reach the one. And it starts with you. And it starts with me. God died on a cross. Took all the shame and punishment of our sins. Because he purchased not just a life. But a life in all of its fullness kind of life. A big life. God's heart for you. God's heart for you. God's heart for you. Is not that you would live a small life. God's heart is that you would live a big life in Jesus' name. I wonder if we'd close our eyes and bow our heads.